The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. If y'all church family, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to find your place in Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel this morning, we're in chapter 12, looking at verses 28 through 34, and this morning I'm continuing a series of messages in Mark's Gospel entitled, What We Need Now. What We Need Now. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. In light of all that's going on in society and in the world, I felt led to uh, share a series of messages from Mark's Gospel, focusing in on some things I really believe are really important for God's people uh, during these times. We've talked so far about the importance of prayer, humility. Uh, This week, we want to focus on the subject, Great Commandment Love. Great Commandment Love. We need prayer. We need humility. We need Great Commandment Loving as well. Did you know this? In the Gospels, Jesus gives two teachings that we could call his great teachings. Great. Now, that word great is greatly overused nowadays and can seem a little bit stale and trite. Uh, But indeed, in the New Testament, we see Jesus gave two great teachings. He gave what we call the great commandment, the command to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. He also gave what we call the great commission when he told the church, go into all the world and make disciples. Now, I found myself saying this over the last few months over and over again. What we need now more than ever before is a commitment to those two great teachings, the great commandment and the great commission. It seems like even from Christians, we have so many opinions, so many ideas offered, and in the midst of all of that, we seem to be overlooking Jesus' two most important teachings. Now, I really believe this. If we look at all of the hurt and the pain and the confusion in society, if we would just go back to ground zero and focus on the great commandment and the great commission, we could really get some help from the Lord. We need to be reminded of these teachings. This morning, we want to focus in on the Great Commandment. Next week, Lord willing, we'll focus on the Great Commission. But this morning, let's look at this teaching from Jesus on our need to love. Sergeant Shiver, who was the first leader of the Peace Corps, said this regarding love. He said, if Americans were to discover finally how to truly love one another... It would be as if our society found an invention that was as useful as the first discovery of fire. Indeed, if we could discover how to truly love, it would revolutionize our lives, our church, our community, and even our nation. The question before us this morning is, how? How do we love as Jesus calls us to love? How can love be something that's actualized in our lives and not just something we aspire after? What do we need to do to be people who live by this great commandment from Jesus? 
This morning, I want us to look at four actions, I believe, that can enable us to obey the command of Jesus and embrace love. Four ways, four actions. Number one, from God's word, I believe that we see we need to avoid, avoid what I would call the checklist mentality. If you want to be a person of Jesus type of love, you need to avoid the religious checklist mentality. We see this in verse 28 as a scribe approaches Jesus. The Bible says, look in your Bible, follow along in God's word. It says one of the scribes approached Jesus when he heard them speaking of Jesus, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders debating and he saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked Jesus, which command is the most important of all? Which command is the most important of all? Now notice this man is a scribe. He's well versed in Jewish custom. He is well aware of the holy writings. He is proficient in the traditions of the chief priests and the elders. He knows his stuff, religiously speaking. He was well-versed in Old Testament law and well-acquainted with the prophets. On top of that, however, he was also knowledgeable of all of the extra-biblical traditions that religious leaders in his day and before his day had added on top of God's word. History tells us of the way in which the Jews living at the time of Jesus, the Pharisees had created a, a system of religiosity through which they had many commands, a plethora, a smorgasbord of religious do's and don'ts. In fact, we're told that they had to be precise 613 commands. 613. That's a lot of do's and don'ts. Now, you heard of the boy who went to school, didn't you? And he was asked by his teacher, his name was Bryson. He was asked, uh, Bryson, do you, do you know your middle name? Can you tell me your middle name? And Bryson said, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I really know my middle name, but I think it's don't. Because <laughs> all I ever hear my mama say at the house is, Bryson, don't. Bryson, don't. There's many people who are like uh, the Pharisees of the first century. They have a religion that's all about don'ts and do's, do's and don'ts. Uh, prohibitions. Uh, these uh, people in Jesus' day had created a system of 613 laws. To go a step further, they had identified 365 of them that were negative, prohibitions, don'ts, things you can't do. 365, one negative prohibition for every day of the year. On top of that, there were 238, 248, excuse me, positive laws. 
Then uh, good Jews went a step further and they divided that system of rules into heavy commands and light commands. Heavy commands were ones that dealt with the character of God and issues related to property. Light commands were things that dealt with more non-consequential matters. So see the scribe approaching Jesus. And in his mind and in his background and in his way of seeing things, religion's all about rules, do's, and don'ts. 613 to be exact. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us, Matthew twenty-two thirty-five, that as this scribe approached Jesus, he had sinister motives in mind. He wanted to ensnare Jesus. He wanted to trap Jesus. He wanted to get our Lord to say something that was non-kosher by first century standards, he hoped, as other critics were doing, to entrap Jesus into saying something blasphemous so that he and the others religious leaders would have a just cause for condemning Jesus to death. Back in Mark 3, 6, the scribes had begun plotting with the Herodians on how they might put Jesus to death. So this man tries to ensnare Jesus, but I I want you to see this morning that he himself was ensnared by an old religious habit that's as old as the sun. He was ensnared Though he wanted to ensnare Jesus, he himself was ensnared by this checklist mentality. Approaching God with a bunch of do's and don'ts, laws and commands, devoid of real life, devoid of a real relationship with God. See him this morning, see this man in the presence of God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. See him in front of Jesus, the one who had healed the multitudes. And all this man can think about is man-made religion. See this man in front of Jesus, the one who had given sermons and others had said, wow, he teaches as one with authority. Yet all this man can think about is his system of religion. And notice this morning, church, that dead, dry, man-made cultural Christianity will never teach you to love as Jesus wants you to love. Know this morning that mere church attendance, empty of a real heart connection with God, will not lead you to the love of God. See this morning that mere religion out of habit or custom or culture will never change your heart. See that you need something so much more. Do you want to get in touch with the love of God this morning? Do you want to love him and do you want to love others? See that there's something more for you than mere man-made religion. Avoid the checklist mentality. And number two this morning, I want you to see that in order to fulfill the great commandment, number two, love should be the point. Love should be the point. I heard about the preacher that got up and announced to the congregation in his morning sermon that he had 42 points to deliver. The congregation gave a big sigh of exasperation. The preacher said, don't worry, at least I have a point. 
Some preachers never have a point. Amen? Now, don't, don't think you're going to make me feel bad. I've heard sermons where I felt the preacher didn't have a point. I've preached some where, well, I was preaching. I thought, I wonder if I've actually got a point this morning. Know this, when it comes to fulfilling the great commandment, you've got to make love the point. Now, notice how Jesus says this in response to the man. Verse 29, we read, Jesus answered, the most important command is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And notice Jesus here calls the man and calls Israel and calls us to listen. And using this word listen, he's quoting and giving a citation from a famous passage of Old Testament Scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, a passage that first century Jews referred to as the Shema. Uh, they got the name for this passage from the Hebrew word translated, listen. Uh, this was an important passage for first century Jews like this scribe. It was one that was quoted in its entirety, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the Shema. It was quoted in its entirety nearly every day for a faithful Jew. And one who was particularly devout would quote this passage when he or she woke up in the morning and before he or she went to bed in the evening. Undoubtedly, even this scribe would have quoted the Shema on a regular basis. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about Jesus' citation of the Shema. First of all, in answering this man, our Lord does not appeal to cultural custom. He does not run to what men think. He does not give his own opinion. He does not cite a popular rabbi of the day and what that rabbi was saying. Instead, Jesus, when answering an important question about God in life, references the holy word of God. And Jesus gives us an example, friends. In the midst of a society in which so many are quick to give their opinion, let us always base our lives on the authority of Scripture. I love what the proverb says. It says, most every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find Oh, we live in a day and age in which so many are quick to proclaim their own goodness and listen to their words. Even amongst Christian leaders, leaders, there is little scripture. And may we be like Jesus and we may, may we say, this is the only truth we have. May we, in a midst in which so many are proclaiming their own goodness, seek to be faithful to the Lord and his word. So Jesus references here scripture and giving an answer. If the Son of God would hold to the authority of Scripture, may we do the same. But, but notice also that he quotes this Shema, a passage this man should have known. I mean, this is like us, 21st century society, asking Jesus, how is one saved? And Jesus quoting back to us John three sixteen. It's like this man should have known De Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. 
Duh, how did you forget that one? How did he forget? I'll tell you, he forgot the basic truth of God because his mind was so focused on those 613 commands. In the midst of his cultural religion, in the midst of paying attention to what religious leaders were saying, this man had overlooked and neglected the word of God. He had missed the main point that humankind, that God's people are to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. Jesus calls the man's attention back to love. And he says love should be the point. Now, notice something very important about love. In our 21st century society, we have perverted love, redefined it, made it into something that it's not. We've made love into something of a mere emotion. Love is all about a feeling, a fleeting feeling, an ecstatic emotion. And we've forgotten the biblical definition of love. Did you know this? In the New Testament times, there were a number of words used for love, but Writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostles used a Greek word for love in the first century that is very instructive for us. It's agape love. It's not eros love, erotic love. It's not storge love, a family type of love. It's not Philadelphia love, a brotherly type of love. This is agape love. Agape love can be defined as an affectionate regard that is based, listen, on a conscientious choice. In other words, the type of love Jesus calls us to is one that is based on willful obedience to the Lord's will and ways. Now, sure, we need, I'm going to talk about this in a few moments, we need Holy Spirit help to love as Jesus loved. Uh, But notice that the love that Jesus calls us to requires obedience on our part. Uh, There's a reason this is called the great commandment. It's a command, something we're called to do. And, And notice here that Jesus reminds us using this word agape for love. When it comes to love, we have got to view it as a personal responsibility. We can't be like these people sitting around and waiting and thinking, all right, whenever the emotion comes upon me, I'll love. I'm just waiting for a feeling. Friends, mark it down, that is not biblical love. Biblical love involves you dying to self, repenting, turning towards the Lord, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, choosing through his power to show affectionate regard to others. So I give an example from real life this past weekend, or this weekend, had a day off, the morning starts, I'm making breakfast. While I'm making breakfast, uh, Laura said something to me that kind of went against the grain, something I kind of didn't like. I don't think she was intending to be rude, but it kind of hurt my feelings, got underneath my skin, ruffled my feathers. And it crossed my mind for just a moment, I'm going to have a bad attitude. 
think I want to be upset for a while. Somewhere in my soul, I had this idea of kind of having a scowl on my face, a little passive aggressiveness that never hurt anybody. Maybe she'll figure out I'm upset and say, did I say something wrong? And about the time I was feeling real negative, a thought crossed my mind, you know what, this is my day off. I ain't even got time to act like that. You know, my feelings, I may feel offended, I may feel hurt, I may feel annoyed, but guess what? This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And furthermore, the Lord's called me to love. And I got enough sense about me to know what I'm preaching on this coming Sunday. Love isn't based on an emotion or a feeling, bless God. It's based on a conscientious choice by the help of the Holy Spirit to place my affections on others, to get my focus off of myself, and to get it on Jesus and others. And so in that moment, by the help of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, I made a choice. I don't have to think this way. I don't have to live this way. I can obey Jesus and love. Notice Christians in a world of so many bitter, vengeful, hurt Christians. You can be free. You can love. In the midst of a world with so much negativity and resentment, there can be an army of warriors who stand up with the loving disposition of Jesus and shine his light. Make love the point. Love should be the point. Number three this morning, let's continue. I want you to see from the Word of God how we can embrace love in our lives. Number three requires that we think about others first. So how do you embrace biblical New Testament love? How do you fulfill the great commandment? Avoid that checklist mentality, that dead empty religion. And make love the point. Notice you, you've been called not to follow minutiae of laws. You've been called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That means love him with everything you've got. Make him the first principle in your life. Set your affections on him. Number three, think about others first. Look at verse number 31 at how Jesus continues. He said, the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Now notice he makes reference to our neighbor. Hello, neighbor. Neighbor. Now who's your neighbor? Now if you ask me who my neighbor is, I've got living to my right, I've got a guy named Malik. His wife and his son named Grayson. Uh, To my left, There's Matthew. See Matthew and Malik outside regularly. We're doing yard work. Get to talk to them, meeting my new neighbors. So what does Jesus say when he says, love your neighbor? Am I to take that passage and say, all right, Matthew and Malik. It's all I got to worry about. Let me make sure I'm loving those guys. Boy, I better send them a card in the mail this week. Better be friendly when I see Matthew and Malik. Jesus said, I got to love my neighbor. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Am I off the hook from loving y'all? Am I just now figuring this out? I don't got to love y'all. 
I've just been called to love my neighbor. Is that what Jesus is teaching? Well, it's important to note that the, 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 the language here, it literally means the next one. The next one. I, I can remember when I lived in Cedartown, Georgia, a lady approached me at church and Laura and I had purchased a house in a community outside of Cedartown called the Friendship Community. There's a, a street built and some new homes put on that street. We purchased a house there and lady from the church approached me one morning after worship and said, I hear that you're my neighbor. I said, well, I met the guy that left, lives to my left and the guy that lives to my right. I don't think you're one of them. I don't, you're not my neighbor. I didn't know you're my neighbor. No, I live down the road from you. Come down the hill, take a right, go down Friendship Church, take a left, go over the bridge. I live down there on the right. That's where I live. I'm thinking in my mind, I grew up in Marietta. You're not my neighbor. Good grief, you live like... But for her, if you're in the friendship community, we're near each other, we're neighbors. In Jesus' day and age, the word neighbor contained this meaning that went far beyond just who's next door to you. It's the next one, the next person you come into contact with. Could have been viewed as anyone and everyone you meet, the next one is your neighbor. In fact, Jesus told an entire story to try to drive home this truth. Luke chapter 10, he had given the, the great commandment in Luke chapter 10, and a smart aleck Pharisee spoke up and said, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus said, I got a story for you. He tells a story about a man we now call the Good Samaritan, right? It says there's this guy traveling on the road and he got beat up by robbers and they stole his goods and left him for dead on the side of the road. Religious leaders of the day passed through and didn't show any care or concern for that bruised and bloody and beaten man, but a, a Samaritan walked by and he took care of the man. And Jesus told that story in a way to rebuke the Jews for their unloving favor. He held up a Samaritan, an individual in their eyes who was despised, a half-breed, one who didn't have a stake in the full promises of God. He held up that Samaritan in a way to rebuke the Jews for their unloving behavior, but he also really told that story for this main point to show who our neighbor really is. It is anyone and everyone we come into contact with. So know this, if you want to fulfill the great commandment, you have to have a heart like the Lord, a heart wherein you say, God so loved the world. You have to develop in your mindset the spirit of Galatians 3.28, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. You've got to have this perspective that 1 John 2, 1 through 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. You've got to have a large perspective that no matter what the socioeconomic status, no matter what the ethnicity, no matter what the nationality, no matter what the background, no matter how immoral, Jesus loves the little children. He loves all the children of the world. This perspective is needed nowadays. We need a revival that we need to think about others first.
Uh, But notice that Jesus gives us a clue of what's really involved in this type of love. It's not just this affection that, oh, I love everybody. Yeah, I'm good. I just love everybody. What's really involved in this type of love? Look at what Jesus says here. He says the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. So here Jesus gives us an actual clue about what's actually involved in following the great commandment, loving others. And notice that our kindness towards our fellow men and fellow women isn't based on fleeting feelings or unpredictable emotions. Instead, it involves an active and willful placing of our affections on the needs of others. Similar, this love involves us looking out for the needs of others similar to the way in which we would care for our own needs. See, here's what's involved in great commandment loving. When you approach others, your perspective isn't first and foremost on yourself. It is instead on that person, that person's needs before the Lord. Your focus isn't on you, what you want. Instead, your focus is on encouraging, edifying, building up that person. Just as you would naturally look out for yourself, you are instead now looking out for that other person. I didn't see this till a few years ago, but this teaching runs throughout Scripture. The New Testament calls us regularly over and over again to not think about ourselves and our dealing with others, but to think about them. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12, a passage we call the golden rule, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. I love Philippians 2, 3 through 4. It's a passage that I try to regularly pray over my own life. There the Lord says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, But, listen, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Notice the frame of mind the Bible calls me to. When I'm talking to you, I'm not to be thinking about myself. I'm to be thinking about you. In my life, as I go about my job, I'm not to be focused on what I can get out of it. I'm to focus on being a blessing and pouring myself out for others. In my relationships, in my marriage, it's not about what have you done for me lately. It's supposed to be what can I do for you? Now certainly in certain relationships, there's a time where there needs to be a healthy boundary. There's an abusive person or an individual who bullies others or takes advantage of other people. And sure, there is a line for healthy boundaries at times. Even Jesus did that. He didn't commit himself to all men, John 2, because he knew what was in some men's hearts. That's the exception to the rule, and the rule is this. As you would have others do unto you, you do unto them. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Recently I was reading something, and I I, I read reference to the world memory games. That intrigued me thought I need to learn about the world memory games. Did you know there's a competition where people memorize things and do these crazy feats of memory? Memorize a deck of cards in under a minute, playing cards. 
How many cards is that? 52? Got any poker players in here? Amen. I'm just joking. All right. So that's a lot of cards. All right. So anyway, so there's these memory competitions. We're going to memorize poems. I'll memorize all this stuff. They'll give them random uh, images of faces and call out binary numbers where they'll just memorize hundreds of binary numbers in a row. So I started reading on this and studying on this. I actually got a, a book on, I thought, man, that might help me in delivering sermons and learning scripture and learning names of all these new people at Tabernacle Baptist. Read this book by this guy named Dominic O'Brien. Dominic O'Brien actually had a chapter in there on how to remember and memorize names. He used these different mnemonic devices or memory techniques that helps you to remember names. Now, what do most of us say? I just got a bad memory. Can't remember nothing. Well, Dominic O'Brien would say, no, you can improve that. He actually shares research on why many people can't memorize people's names when they first meet them. He says, research reveals that number one reason why people don't remember names when when studied, when surveyed, why people don't memorize names is this. When they first meet someone... They're not thinking about that person. They're thinking about themselves. Surveys would say, why didn't you remember their name? I'll be honest, even when they said their name, I wasn't listening. I was thinking about what I wanted to say next. I was thinking about, what do they think of me? So Dominic O'Brien would say, first rule in order to to really remember a name, be present, put your attention on the person. Actually, listen to them. Refuse to think about yourself and think about the words that are coming out of their mouth. That's good advice he'd propose for remembering names. I say based on the words of the Lord Jesus, it's good advice for all of life. In our interpersonal relationships, in our marriage, in our parenting, at work, the way we approach worship and the church and serving others, may we learn to hear and to heed the words of Jesus. Great commandment loving involves us getting our eyes off of ourselves and placing our focus on God and others. And remember that great acrostic or acronym for joy. Joy comes when we live by this perspective. Jesus, others, yourself. Remember that that is the teaching of the Lord Jesus. This is his great command. What does the world need now? It needs love, but it doesn't need the mushy, gushy, emotional, fleeting, feeling type of love, the perverse, me-centered type of love. It needs Jesus' love. Where people put their attention on God and on others in a healthy way. How can we love as Jesus loved? Avoid the checklist mentality. Be sure that love is the point. Put others first. Number four, I want you to see this this morning. Make sure you know Jesus. Make sure you know Jesus. Now, I'll be honest, I, I could go to a Um, secular meeting and share a lot of what I've just said and I would find a lot of agreement and and people would perhaps leave my talk on love and say boy you know Jesus really did have some useful things to say that's so helpful for business and for life Jesus others yourself 
Let's think about God and think about others. That'll make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. A lot of people could agree and then perhaps go out into society and try from their own strength and from through their own coping techniques to try to put the attention on others. I want you to see that the ways of the Lord are different than the ways of the world and where human strength and the arm of the flesh will fail you, God can help you. And to truly love as Jesus loved, you're going to need more than dead, dry religion. You're going to need more than seven tips or techniques to help you love. You're going to need gospel, Holy Spirit power. See, we got to have the conviction, this 21st century society, as Paul had in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? We've got to be aware that the flesh profits nothing in the pursuit of holiness. We've got to have that mindset of Galatians 5 of what the works of the flesh really are and realize that we need the fruit of the Spirit. We see reference to that here in our text. Verse 32 continues, the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there's no one else except him. And notice the man refers to Jesus as merely teacher. He uses a moniker that is not fitting for our Lord. He regards Jesus as a mere instructor or rabbi in the law. He doesn't get it that Jesus was not just a messenger from God. Jesus was God. Jesus was the perfect God-man who lived the perfect life mere mortals like us could never live. Though we are imperfect, though we are beset by many, many infirmities, though we are all unrighteous of ourselves, though we are all finite, Jesus was the infinite God. He was the perfect God. He was holy. He never said, thought, or did anything that fell short of God's standard of perfection. He was more than a teacher. He was and is the ultimate teacher. He was 100% God, 100% man. Emmanuel, God on earth. He was the anointed one. So this man missed it when he called him teacher. Jesus saw that the man answered wisely. The man, verse 34, did quote scripture and show an affirmation of some of the things that Jesus said. Then Jesus gave this sobering estimation of the man's soul. Verse 34, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What does Jesus mean by that? The man had a lot of religion without relationship. He had ritual without true redemption. He knew some scripture, but he didn't have salvation he had been a good person but he hadn't been born again he had a head knowledge but he didn't have church a heart knowledge and notice a really important truth here about Christian love in order to love as the Lord calls you to love you must be born again you must have the spirit of God You must have Jesus in your soul through the Holy Spirit. 
You must have the mind of Christ that comes to us at salvation. Flesh and blood can never create or concoct the life and love of God. You need help from the other side. You need transformation. You need to be, as Paul said, a new creation in Christ. Oh, I'm afraid that there's many who never really show the love of God. They're church people, but they're not true Christians. They know some Bible stories, but they've never been transformed by the Bible. They're like this man of old, by all estimations, everyone would say, boy, that man knows the Bible. That woman goes to church. He or she is religious, devout, but they've never truly done what Jesus called men and women to do back in Mark 1, 15. They've never truly repented of their sins and believed that Jesus was the Son of God who can cleanse of all unrighteousness. They've never experienced real deal, genuine salvation. Therefore, they don't have the Spirit of God and they don't have the ability to love as Jesus loved. Know this, the Bible says, the Bible teaches, when you turn from self and sin and call out to Jesus Christ and ask him to save you and wash you in his blood, you are made a new creature in Christ. The Lord washes you of all of your sin, and now when the Lord looks at you, he doesn't see sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, but what's more, Galatians 3, 2, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 20, when you are saved, we don't talk about this often, but when you are saved, the Lord sends his Holy Spirit to live within your soul, within your inner man or your inner woman. That's why Jesus called it being born again. And with that spirit, Romans 5, 5, you receive supernatural, otherworldly power to love as Jesus loved. That's why Romans 5, 5 tells us God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And that's why in Galatians 5, 22, when the Apostle Paul would list the fruits of the Spirit, he would say the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love. Know this, if you want to embrace and embody the love of God, if you want to fulfill the great commandment, if you want to stand as a beacon and bastion for love in this world of so much hate and division, you've got to have the Holy Spirit in your heart. And you've got to know how to live in a daily relationship with Him. Aligning your priorities with God's Word, spending time in personal worship, fighting sin, walking in the Spirit, abiding in Christ, and allowing Him to produce His life in you. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.